The opinions expressed in these materials represent the personal views of the participants and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Salient. This information is neither an offer to sell nor a solicitation of any offer to buy any securities. Any offering or solicitation will be made only to eligible investors and pursuant to any applicable private placement memorandum and other governing documents, all of which must be read in their entirety. Reference to any third party, specific product, process, or service by trade name, trademark, or otherwise does not constitute or imply endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by salient. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Michael Correo, Director of Investor Relations and Communications at Salient. And uh, I'm here today with Dr. Ben Hunt, as usual. And we're joined today by two very special guests. They're my daughters. All right. (laughs) This will will actually be the the second time that we've done an Epsilon Theory-related media special uh, starring starring my daughters, we we had uh, if you remember the uh, was it the ice bucket challenge? This was <laughs> the a year and a half or so yeah. ago, right? So we we filmed a uh, a an ice bucket challenge version of the prisoner's dilemma uh, with my four girls, and we've still got that video up on the I think so. Yeah, site. we'll have yeah. to. Uh, yeah, do some we'll way do of, link. Uh, of no day. Do some sort of link for that. Yeah, we'll have that on Twitter. It's actually been what it was. It's really one of the most popular postings I ever did. I don't doubt it. On, on Epsilon Theory, <laughs> it was great. pretty funny. It was, it was pretty good. <laughs> I loved being able to throw a bucket of ice water on you. It, that was nice. That was nice. So uh, these are these are two of my four daughters. This is uh, Harper uh, and Hannah, and they are respectively a sophomore and a and a freshman at USC. So uh, very fight on, as, uh, as 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 they would say. As they would say. So the, the reason I wanted to have my daughters here, other than get a chance to see them, uh, is that I want to do a podcast or two, maybe write an epsilon theory note or two, that really focuses at least as much on politics as it would ordinarily on on economics, particularly leading up to the election. But I didn't want to do. A podcast, and I don't want to write articles specifically about this election, right? It's not, it's not, I think, um, an epsilon theory topic to talk about. Oh, it's Trump versus Clinton, and and at the same time, I, I also didn't want to have a discussion about because you see this all the time, bemoaning, oh, ain't it awful, the terrible choices we have, and the like. And uh, Michael, you brought up earlier, we're talking about this podcast. I, I, I haven't spoken about this with with Harper and Hannah, so I, I don't know if they they feel the same way that these are horrible choices. I, I didn't want to have that sort of conversation either. What I wanted to do was to, to, to have a conversation, uh, and this will be the name of this, this podcast, and I'll call it Anthem, because it, it, it strikes me that what we haven't had, uh, in, at least in my recent memory, is a conversation about politics that focused on ideas, that whether it's a third party or whether it's the the, the, the two parties that are the standard bearers in this country, I, I, they become about personalities, they become about sound bites. I, I find that when I look at our political dynamic and conversation today, I don't recognize myself in it. And, and I, it, there's, there's nothing about it that inspires me. And so that's what I wanted to talk about. I want to call this this anthem. I wanted to talk to two smart young people right, to, to, to find out and we really haven't talked about this before, what would be inspiring? What would be an anthem? Because, uh, it, again, it strikes me that so much, particularly in politics and all of our culture today, it's what I'll call a, a bittersweet emo song sung in a minor key. You know, and, 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 and an anthem has to be in a major key. It, it has to be something that really strikes that, that chord uh, in, your, in, your, in your backbone. And, and Harper's already laughing at me here, but but I, I but I do want to try to find well, what does that is there something like that? I want to try some ideas out on these two girls. First, I want them to kind of give us a sense of, of what they think about, if at all, when they think about politics. Uh, so that's 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 where this this podcast is coming from. So let me introduce my two daughters. So so say hello, Harper. 
Hello, Harper. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's great. You know, of course, that was essentially the tagline of the famous radio yeah, I, show. I know. You know I that. Know. You know that. Okay. All right. That's that's good. See, I, I knew we had the right people here, so that's good. Uh, uh, so, uh, Hannah, can you can you say hello to that three audience? Well, I don't know. Can I? Oh wow! I just I just walked right into that one, didn't you I? I really did. did. I, I did. So it's a classic. all right. So now you see this is it's just constant wordplay with uh, growing up in the in the Hunt household. So I've got I've got two younger daughters at least. Uh, not give me as much back talk here. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But but I'm sure it's coming. Well, look. So so let's let's start there. And I'll, I'll start with you, Harper. And what what I'm interested in just kind of hearing you riff on right when when you think about government what what do you think government owes you what what do you think you owe government do you even think about government in that way what what i'm just trying to get a feel for for what motivates you to think politically well i think for the first answer i mean i just i'm in a french revolution class we just spent a week talking about rousseau and the social contract and I mean, there are definitely elements of that. I think it's almost a, a give and take. You have to give up some freedom, some liberties uh, to the government to get sort of bigger benefits. I mean, the big mm-hmm. example that I've seen used a lot, my use myself a lot, is taxes and infrastructure. You pay taxes so you can get roads, so you can get hospitals, so you can get public education. All of these things that I think everyone should agree are good, but you know, no one really likes taxes. As for how I've personally kind of seen the government interact with it, the truth is I really haven't. Mm-hmm, Being mm-hmm. a college student and then before that kind of obviously living with living with you, living with family, you don't interact with the government without your parents there to sort of do it for you. Mm-hmm. My health insurance is your health insurance. My housing is your housing. Every Everything that the government's supposed to take care of and is sort of a presence in never really affected me. So what I hear about government, I hear mostly through media, which obviously can be very biased in any direction or just flat out false. Or also a lot of what I got was from actually being on the debate team. And then you, it's, it's almost very argumentative, mm-hmm. very nihilistic, end of the world. Everything will end in nuclear destruction. You can always <laughs> bring it back to nuclear destruction. But but boy, I, I know I've heard you say that you've had friends who were very motivated politically. You know, went I think you had somebody who blew up a class to go work for the Sanders campaign yes, or something like that. Yeah, it um last year, freshman year was my first real taste of seeing like what politics means to other people. Mm-hmm. And you saw the biggest reaction really coming from Bernie Sanders because that he really reached out to a lot of college students and really struck a chord with them. I had friends who, you know, they had, they had all the all the bumper stickers, had the feel the burn Christmas sweater that they wore completely unironically. I knew a TA <laughs> who completely left his class high and dry to go work on Bernie Sanders' campaign because for a lot of people, he he was almost like this like folk hero for them. And that was, it, it was really interesting to see, because, especially compared to at the time he was running against Clinton and who had already, now we know had already been kind of chosen as the Democratic nominee. I, I want to come back because the question is going to be then, well, what was it about that Sanders message that struck that chord, as you put it? But, but before we come back to that, mm-hmm. Hannah, so you're a, a freshman this year, so so you didn't get the whatever that experience was with Harper being feel on campus, burn. feel the burn. Right. But sure, but you still saw it online everywhere. And just any, like even high school age friends who couldn't even vote, like you still see that a lot of that motivation, I think, particularly stemming from Bernie Sanders. I think he picked up a lot of like popularity online, which was really easy to see. What, what, what our listeners don't know is, is that Hannah actually started I'm actually, I think, the third most successful blogger in the Hunt household. I think Hannah was the one who really started and has run a very, very large uh, blog. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then, and then, your younger sister, the 15-year-old's got this crazy Instagram, photography blog, yeah. Instagram account. So, so I'm the third most successful blogger in the Hunt household. <laughs> Riding but, on their coattails. That's right. I am. I am. I totally am. 
so Hannah, so, so what I want to ask you, so while you're masterminding your, your, your media empire, right, you're online a lot. It, is there a discussion about politics in, in, your, in your crew, in your crowd? Um, yeah, definitely, I would say. Um, sort of depends on the platform. So, I mean, in my sort of real life personal circle, like on Facebook and such, there's a lot of... Um, I, I, I just got to interrupt. I just find that amazing that you have to describe that you have your in real life... <laughs> Yeah. persona and then your yeah and then more like global online your it's, online it's, persona it's really interesting is that the way both of you guys think that, that there's a there's a real life persona and there's an online persona yeah i think that i would say that's how most people refer to it i mean it's not that i'm fake on like my blog that I write, you know that's my real life too but it's that um it's a different feel when you're able to talk um to people who you have never met in real life and you will probably never meet mm -hmm. in person versus, you know, people you actually see and meet with frequently, like on Facebook versus on my blog platform, I can talk with people from, you know, Canada or Australia or Sweden or wherever um, they're coming from. And most of the discussions center around um, sort of the pastime, you know, like I ride horses, so it, it was like an equestrian advice mm -hmm. sort of blog. Um, so a lot of that focuses on that, but, um, Definitely, uh, you see a lot of, um, or a good amount of political discussion too, especially now that we're getting into like further into the cycle. Um, strangely, you know, a ton of input from people um, who live in Canada or abroad. Interesting, in England, right? You know, because I with, think that's with opinions on, yeah, on, US on the U.S. Exactly, um, and I think that's something that. Like, Let me, so, and, mm -hmm. and I'm, yeah. I, I swear to God, I'm going to bring this back to the original question about what was about the message of Sanders that was so inspiring, but there, let me state my view, right? And then let's see if you guys feel the same way. I get so annoyed when anyone from outside of this country talks about U.S. politics. It just, it just makes me seethe. And, 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 and I will say, when you look at the Brexit vote, it was not helpful for Obama to go over there and wag his finger, uh, you know, watch the press conference and say, oh, well, you know, if you guys vote for this, we're going to put you at the back of the line These for, for trade agreements. And this kind of almost veiled threat. And, and it, I didn't think that was helpful. I'm, I'm confident that was not helpful to get his desired outcome in the Brexit vote. And I know that even when people are from outside the country are saying things that I agree with politically, I feel like they're not helping by voicing their, their opinions like this. But I have no idea if you guys feel the same way. Um, well, personally, I mean, I, I agree in large part with that because I think a lot of the time it comes off as very condescending, mm -hmm. um, which just personally rubs me the wrong way. Um, but I think it's interesting, you know, I'm learning in, in some of my classes um, that sort of in the postmodern era that we're in now, the idea or of the nation state or the power of that is declining as we enter into the globalized world. So you have people from other countries with all these opinions on, you know, American politics right. or British politics or whatever, you, you know, there is. Um, You've been indoctrinated so. by the pro-globalization forces. Well, it's not, even, it's not even pro or anti-globalization. It's just a fact that it's spreading. So it's not, you know... It usually rubs me the wrong way, but I wouldn't. It's it's not something that I'm surprised to see right. anymore. What about you, Harper? Yeah, I'm actually going to take a completely opposite position to both of you. I I think it's totally fine. I mean, we were just talking before about how uh, Hannah, you're seeing a lot of people from different countries on your blog. With today's media, nothing is really private anymore. Once it's on these media platforms, once mm -hmm. it's being shown at this level, it's available for everyone in the country and now everyone in the world. And especially US politics uh, has, it's kind of become like this, like this big reality show where it's constantly getting media attention. There are all these scandals. And with the US being a world power, everyone else kind of watches this show going on. And I think that as they're I think you've hit on it, something here, because I, I will tell you that that going back even 20 or 30 years, much less going back 200 years to Rousseau and the contract, right? There was, there was, there was always a very 
and I felt this growing up and becoming a political person uh, at about your age, right? When I first started thinking about politics, but there was the, the notion of the personal was a completely different sphere than the political. And that, and that those never, those never merged in, in, in my mind and in my thinking. So it sounds like you're saying just the opposite, right? That there, there's no separation of spheres between the personal and the political. Is that I, right? I, there really isn't. Um, an argument that I've uh, heard be made is that you could almost say that any action you take is a political action. Um, a big thing is particularly in uh, what you buy. If you are buying, let's say you're buying uh, clothes from a store that you know has uh, sweatshops or doesn't treat their workers fairly. By choosing to buy from that store, uh, the phrase I've heard used most often is power of the purse. Mm-hmm. By giving them your money, you are giving them your support. By giving them your support, you're saying that I support this company and the actions they're taking, their policies, it kind of going from that, in a way, you're supporting the sweatshops that they're using. So there's very, with the globalized society, there's very little that any individual person does that does not show support to a bigger cause, or that does not sort of show, yeah, really support to something larger than them. But, let, but let's get back to the personal, because this is going to come back to that question about Bernie Sanders. What was it about his message that made people who you know in real life change their behaviors, right? And, and, and it comes to your point about the, the power of the person purchasing. And I'll ask you, have, have either of you ever not bought something because you didn't want to give your money, because you thought it would be a, a political statement? It, for me, the first time I, and I didn't do that, I was in fourth grade at sleepaway camp. And some of the girls were telling me that I forget what candy company it was, but it was like they were testing on animals. And then I was really sad, but then I didn't buy any any of that candy for the rest of the summer. So it, just just little things like, like that, um, like not buying makeup from a company that tests on animals, uh, not buying, uh, supporting known human rights abusers. People do alter their behavior like that when it becomes public. And to answer your question about Bernie Sanders, the biggest thing that I heard over and over again about Sanders is that he's honest, is that Mm -hmm, he had mm -hmm. a position and he's stuck to it for years, the entire time, because growing up, we've heard our our parents, I've heard you talk about how you don't think a politician can be trusted, about how, oh, well, they're lying, they're saying something different now. And so when Sanders came on and you could see all this proof, all these records that he's had this belief since the beginning and has held on to it he's all the authentic. way, that he's authentic, he's real, that his political and his personal are the same. Mm-hmm. That's what really struck a chord with a lot of people. That's why a lot of people felt like this is someone I can actually trust. I think if he's saying this, it's not his political self-talking. It's also his personal self-talking. Right. And this is the problem, right? Because then I'll say so with Trump in particular, right? Because he doesn't have that sort of political record. So I, I think that what happens is that whatever he says also comes across as authentic. And I, I think that is, that, is a, that is a very large source of his appeal, is that when people say, well, he's not politically correct. And, and of course, mostly that's uh, just a code word for being rude at best or, or, or racist at worst, right? Mm-hmm. But, 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 I, but there's an element when people say he's not being politically correct, that is that he's speaking again authentically right as, a, as opposed to the the just the, the the trite stuff that that emerges from most from most politicians mouth but so 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 this gets back to the notion of that, is that what we haven't had i think in this country in a long time is a a political party or a political movement that was based on ideas right and 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 maybe Maybe that's just not possible today, that the, that the best we can hope for is that someone comes out and at least is saying things, political things, that match who they are personally, and that at least we've got that authenticity to hold on to. But I, I'm just, I just can't give up the hope that we can both have authenticity as well as ideas and policies that are... Um, inspiring that are an anthem that that can kind of create that motivation in people 
uh, like Sanders clearly did, and, and I think to a lesser extent, Trump does. But how do, how do we capture that authenticity? What are the sort of ideas that if an authentic person says them would be motivating? I, and, and I'm asking this a question. I'll try some ideas out, but but Hannah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. What, 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 would, what would inspire you? What would be an anthem that would make you say, all right, I'm going to cut class and go support this cause? Is, it, it, it doesn't, I'm not putting it, maybe there's nothing. And Harper's shaking her head like, I can't think of anything. But, but Hannah, let's start well, with you. I don't know. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, like specific um, ideas in particular, that would help, but I personally would love to see just more creative ideas or creativity in general in playing politics, because it seems, and I think a lot of people are frustrated um, with um, the political system as is today, it seems really restrictive. Like you just have basically like two sets of ideas mm -hmm. and you have to agree with all of them. You have to right? adhere to them. Exactly. Yeah. And they're the same ideas that we've been hearing forever it seems like you just flip-flop between one or the other you know it's this one's turn and this one's turn so it doesn't seem like there's a lot of like new ideas in the mix i think that was something that also got people excited about mm -hmm. sanders was, i think you're right it was just something new it seemed different um so it, and i think it's easier to get excited when you're not hearing basically the same policies suggested every you know four years um so I think, I mean, I, I think just having more creative ideas in general, being able to take from both sides and come up with like the best set of policies that is not necessarily strictly adhering to, um, you know, one party in particular or not. Uh, go off on that. I completely agree. I think that at this point, uh, the two major parties, Republican and Democrat, almost every idea or ideology has kind of been absorbed by them, at least to some degree. You could say like, Oh well, this is a Republican idea, and that's a Democratic idea. So I think that they're both Borg-like in that way, aren't they? A, a, yeah. a little bit, and I think that it, it's incredibly difficult, if not kind of impossible, to find a new idea that people could route, like a single idea yeah. that has not been touched by either party that people could really rally behind. So I think that, like Hannah was saying, the best way to think about what gets people inspired is to kind of take from both parties. A little bit. I think that if you, that you don't want to go just Democrat or Republican, but kind of see what what is good about both. What can both inspire? Well, we what we've seen. Let's kind of get it, get on my. I'll put on my pro professorial hat here, right? So, so, so what we have seen is in, in not just in this country, but in, in in every country, and we saw it also the last time the world was experiencing such a, an economic crisis, so the 1930s. But you see a polarization around this, this central dimension of left and right. You know, exactly what you're saying. These, 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 the same ideas, the same concept. Are you, are you on the left? Are you on the right? Are you conservative? Are you liberal? And, and, and what we've seen over the last 20 years is that the electorate has moved to either to one side or to the other, and it leaves this hole in the middle. So that instead of having kind of an overlapping of the two, of left and right, with a majority of people in the middle, you've got a majority, you've got a, a sub-majority who are over kind of to the right, and you've got a sub-majority who are kind of over to the left, but you, you, you don't have, you, it's almost like two, it's like a camel, a two-humped camel, when you look at it, instead of a one-humped camel, one distribution, a single distribution of people. But that's on that left-right dimension. Because I think what, and again, I want to get to this, this notion of authenticity. You know, why were the, I would argue, the, the two most surprisingly successful candidates in this go-round? They were at far ends of the left and the right, mm -hmm. right? But they were as one, right? What, what did they share? They shared that notion of authenticity. What are some ideas, right, that do transcend the left-right spectrum that could be the form, the core of, of, of something that can, can motivate a, a majority of people. Hannah, you I had something? I feel like to, um, sort of along those lines, but for, if you're looking for something that, like an idea that both parties share that might transcend, I think like the idea of mobility sort of comes into it a little bit where mm -hmm. like on both sides. Opportunity. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, 
you know, that's what Trump is pushing a lot of, you know, he's, you know, that, you know, he's appealing to, you know, poor Americans who, you know, we're going to make America great and you can rise above, you know, what have you. And Sanders did the same thing to a certain extent, too, where, you know, more along the lines of equality, but trying to, you know, um, you know, bring minorities up to the same playing field, show them that they could have more opportunity. So I think that's like a general theme that can attract a lot of different people, depending on how you um, play it, I guess, what perspective you're looking through. Yeah, I, I think Hannah's extremely correct about that, because also if you look at um, at the people, specifically that Trump and Sanders were appealing to, Trump was trying and is still trying to appeal to the poor white Americans, specifically, whereas Sanders seemed to focus more on uh, racial and other minorities. They're both looking at people who are considered sort of uh, disenfranchised by the current system and don't have a lot of um, upward mobility in the status quo right now. And they were trying to say, I can help you. And I think that's definitely something that everyone wants is kind of this belief that it, the belief that their kids can have a better life than they have, that they can make something better than their parents had, that there is, like Hannah said, this upward mobility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one's mentioned anything about, I'll call it security or, or protect as a, as, as a role of government. Do either of you guys ever well, think about that? A, I do think about that, but it's almost something that I think um, we take for granted today. You know, it's, it's not such a hot button issue. Um, I guess, you know, it recently it hasn't really, um, we don't see it as like a major threat or anything. I mean, we know that the U.S. has, you know, the world's largest army by far. We know that, you know, we're... See, that's interesting. So, so, so even after the various, whether it's Orlando or whether it's the, you know, you name it in terms of the you know, recently you had the the bombs that didn't hurt anybody, but but or they they did hurt some people. They didn't well, kill no, anybody sure. in Chelsea, I mean, maybe, New York. Maybe I'm misunderstanding your question, but like there might I think people are concerned with like, you know, can our security be better? Do we need to you know? Um, are there critiques within how the government is protecting? But as far as whether we think the government's role is to protect its citizens or to provide that national security, I think. Most you people are sort of, yeah, or just assume that it is a given. Yeah, I think it's so heavily implied that that's one of, if not the primary role of government, that everyone just kind of glosses over and is like, well, yeah, of course they are. Of course they do. Because it's interesting, because I, I find that it, in, in, I'll call it kind of my, there's this old saying, right, that the, the, the young person who's not a socialist has no heart, mm-hmm. and the, the older person who's not a conservative has no brain. It, yeah. you know, and, and, and so I, I'll tell you that in the kind of the the old people circles that I am, you, know, you think a lot about things like security. And, and it's interesting. I mean, when we think when we talk about markets, we say that there's there's one kind of well, there are two actually fundamental drivers of investment behavior: fear and greed. Right? And, and greed's not necessarily bad. I don't. I mean, greed can be bad, but but greed is the notion of what you want. Like you're saying, sure. you want a better life for your kids. Mm-hmm. You want to have uh, opportunity for yourself and you want to have a voice. So that's, I'll, I'll lump that in greed, but all I mean is that's that's something you desire. want. Desire. Right, you want something right. you desire. Fear on the other side is this notion of of protection, that, that you do want government to be there to protect you. And and, and frankly, that, that could be in the the guns and bombs way they can also be in the sense of uh insurance like health insurance it can be in social security you know that you that the government should be there is that um that last resort for what what whatever security might mean it could be like i say it could be health financial or military but i i keep thinking that that it, it's hard to keep coming it's hard to to, to craft Specific, I think policies around that without falling into the trap of being lumped into, oh, you're either in the left or the right or the Democrat or the Republican. And going off of uh, just what you're saying and going back a little bit where you were talking about how people, I'm going to say people your age. Yes, that's fine. Um, that's okay. You're focused more on security, but also I think you're focused more on uh, reactive security. Like a bit more, it's like once something happens, what do we do then? Mm-hmm. Whereas I've noticed people uh more my age i feel like we're focused more on preventative security like looking at the domestic attacks 
um, I've seen a lot of people be more focused on, well, how did we get to that point? What could we have done to stop it? People talk a lot about um, uh, the cycle of poverty, the cycle of crime, focusing on all these little steps that lead up to the big security threats. And obviously, uh, these don't account for all the instances and they don't, um, they don't, they don't cover everything. But it is kind of interesting that I think, I think everyone does care about security and safety. It's just that they show this concern in different ways. Yeah, they really frame it differently too. And I, I, I guess I'm struck in this conversation. I, I'm actually finding that that that, that the, the not the divide, gap. the generational gap is is more real even than I thought it was before before we started this conversation. And and that's I, I just see so many gaps in this country today. As I you know mentioned earlier, I, I find that when I look at not just our political discourse, but when I look at you know again to to timestamp this, what's happening in Charlotte right now, or like that, I don't. I don't recognize our country in this, and 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 I, and it, it makes me so sad. Um, and I and I and I'm kind of flailing about as I'm flailing about and talking here about about, about what to do about it. And I, I don't. I'm trying to think. Well, what what is that sort of of anthem, right? What is that sort of of major key statement that that can be unifying? across generation, across class, across race, is, is there something? And I, I, the, the small L liberal in me wants to come back to the notion of, of opportunity. Uh, and I, I want to keep coming back to that. One thing I, I was thinking, I want to kind of get you guys take on this, but if, if, if the role of government is to, to protect, that's going to be one aspect of it. And, one aspect of it can be uh, equality. I, I kind of want to get away from these notions of equality, and I, we'll go back and cut some of this because I'm being inarticulate some of this, but one aspect of government that, that I was thinking that could perhaps be that, that sort of anthem for people to get around is the notion of, I don't know whether to call it create, not, you, you mentioned earlier, Hannah, that you want to see more creativity in politics. But whether it's to create, it's to teach, to make. I think about the maker fairs. Do you guys remember mm-hmm. the maker fairs yeah. you used to go to? Which is that fascinating phenomenon. And I, in, in contrast to the despair I feel when I look at the news coverage of a, of a Charlotte, you know, I get so happy and, and optimistic when I go to one of these maker fairs, which for listeners who are not familiar with it, it's this whole maker movement right which is which is really individual based but it's it's that you 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 follow your own creativity and ingenuity to make something as the as the name would 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 imply and and i just see this this flowering of the you know thousand different little ideas of people at these maker fairs who they've got an idea and they've created something and and I and I can't help but think that that's the that's the thing that government should be unleashing or supporting. What 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 can government do to, on the one hand, protect, but on the other hand, provide a platform for people to make and create? I mean, a big thing I would think of is just helping the education system, in a basic sense, because. Um, Going back to the, I'm just going to say the millennial idea of security is prevention. Education helps. Typically people uh, who are higher educated are are less violent. Um, And then also if, you know, people are more educated, then there's just sort of this passion for knowledge, like this desire to go out and to create these things, to have this idea and not think, oh, well, that's cool, but to think I can do that. And... I think that's definitely something that that we could foster more in this country. Um, I I took a course on education inequality last semester, which was one of the most depressing classes I have ever taken, um, because you really see how things, even though we'd like to say we have this great education system, the truth is we really don't. It's great in certain areas, geographic areas, depending on uh, your tax area. But 
there are a lot of people who get left behind. So no child left behind. Sorry, it didn't really work very well in that case. And I think that um, I think that helping the education system, I don't really know how you fix it because there's no one golden solution that just there's no like magic wand you can wave and fix it. But I think that you need that we need to try. I think that it sort of gets uh, lip service from a lot of politicians, like. And education, it's great, but it's like looking at Miss America and they say, and world peace. You don't get a pat on the back for just saying the words. You need to actually take some step Responsibility forward. for it. But see, yes. this is what I'm saying. It's not just, I think there has to be whatever that responsibility is. And here's another, you know, something I usually don't like to tell people because, you know, they look at you like, you know, you're a freak. But, you know, you girls were homeschooled. I know, I've outed you here. It's true, right? And, uh, it, you know, I tell people this a lot. I think it's the best thing, you know, we ever did in, in a lot of different respects. And we lived in a great school district and we got along great with our our local schools and, and, and the like. But wanted to take that, your mother and I, particularly your mother, wanted to take that personal responsibility and to give you guys the, the platform to make and, and, and create. And so that, that's kind of an, a, a super granular level of, of devolving responsibility for education. And, and that's certainly not something that, that everyone can do. I think we need that sort of institutional platform. But there's got to be some way to, I'll call it to devolve. And, and I don't mean devolve as in to make dumb or stupid, but to, to, to not have this, this educational edifice right that, that, that almost seems more stultifying to me sometimes than, than than advancing yeah it's almost like i think um they've almost tried to implement like the idea you're talking about about making and creating but they've done it in a way that you know they talk about productivity more and you know productivity isn't really the same thing so you mm-hmm. know it makes us sound it's more robotic, you know, makes people sound like little cogs or something. And so I think the schools, you know, they're trying to focus on productivity and, you know, you know, like um, having certain standards for every school and every kid and, you know, raise, you know, proficiency in math or reading or whatever. Um, it's, it's an accreditation so, yeah, machine. Yeah, right, it is. And, right. But I think they do that in an, in an attempt to foster, you know, technological improvements or you know, brain power to solve the world's problems or make things or whatever, but um, they sort of miss miss the mark, I guess. I would I would like to see it more like you're talking about, where you have that personal responsibility to, and then you follow your own individual passions to create um, something. Yeah, is technology you think? Uh, and this sounds trite, part of the solution or part of the problem. But what I mean by it, it strikes me that. Uh, so much of technology today is is less and less of a tool that allows people to do more. There, there's still a lot of that, right? Where and, and you girls are great examples of using technology tools to create things. But I see more and more technology that replaces humans, and that's a very different role, I, I think, than, than than the technology has had in the past. Maybe I'm under, overstating it because you've certainly seen technology replace people in agriculture and, you know, industrials and, and, and the like. But I, well, there, there's something that's going on here where people are being replaced, where it is this, this creation of, as you say, kind of people are becoming like cogs in that machine. And, that, and I do think that exists in the educational system, too. And just sort of uh, to the idea that, like, uh, people are being uh, replaced by, like, m- machines, I think that as much as that happens, if that's going to continue happening, that just means that now there are opening for people to create these machines. There are opening for people to uh, design them to keep them moving. You have new jobs opening, but they require a different um, set of skills. And I think that that's also something that maybe our government should look into is how do we provide people with these skills? Because it's very scary right now if you've done one thing for most of your life and now you're being told that you need to just magically learn how to do something completely different. If there's, um, I think, uh, more uh, higher education for people who uh, maybe didn't go straight to college out of high school, I think that could be helpful, just to let people have 
more freedom to move around uh, within the workforce. You know, it's interesting that that's where for-profit educational companies really got their start, Mm -hmm. was for mid-career training and programs, but that they found it so much more lucrative to tap into the federal aid trough for kids getting out of, out of out of high school right like like you to to get the full ride of the loans processed through the government and so and now you've seen firms like ITT educational mm-hmm. uh, you've seen these you know Apollo used to be a you know a, a, a so I'll use some of these investment terms a mid-cap company it used to have like a five six billion dollar market cap and now it's just a tiny fraction of that because they really changed their mission right they 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 and this is i think the the issue with the way that we can talk about all these ideas but once it gets into the actual realm of practical politics it does get absorbed in board-like fashion by the two parties that are there it does get absorbed in terms of implementation with just the vast amounts of money mm-hmm. that slosh through the system of a country of you know 400 million people these these good ideas get get you know perverted right when they when they are applied on a massive scale and you get all these 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 you know bad intentions or the the, the best of intentions with the original idea ends up being a the road to hell and all that. The road to hell and all that. That that, that that's that, that's right. So it, it it just it's such a daunting task, but it it seems like we we've got to if we can just find the right message, whether that's teach or create or make something that can inspire people to leave their class and work on it or the like, and and yet still find some resonance in the old people like me. Yeah. and so I keep searching for that and I get tongue-tied and that's why this I wanted to do this this podcast just to hear you guys talk about this stuff um, but that's where we are yeah I mean that's where we are I mean I would love to uh, I'm definitely going to be thinking more about what that idea could be um, I love the idea of having something like that to create or make or teach that can, like we were talking about earlier, sort of transcend both parties so we don't have this polarization so much where it's it's so contentious, you know, and, and restricted. You know, I think a lot of people, they join a side and, you know, they participate in the contentious nature of the two parties, but they don't necessarily believe all of the policies that they, you know, have to adhere to under this. So I think it would be really cool to see a bigger idea or a bigger theme come out and um, sort of inspire people to, I don't know, sort of create that more um, unified majority, I guess, if that makes sense. And uh, I agree with Hannah. And then going off of the idea that people join these parties when they're younger usually tends to go based on the area you live in and your family. And a lot of times when you join, like, like my age, I, when I was filling out the voter registration, I didn't recognize most of the party names on there. I didn't realize uh, what all the different sections were, uh, their different beliefs. Um, and I think that, it, that there's definitely something for once you check that box, you feel this loyalty mm-hmm. to kind of like, oh, they're your team. Hell or high water, you're going to support your team. Uh, if you want a very modern example, look at Pokemon Go. You have three different teams. They mean absolutely nothing. They are different colors, but by God, I have seen some actual arguments break out over which team is better. I think that's a great example, actually, because I, 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 you're, you're exactly right. It, it's just a totally manufactured uh, loyalty, mm-hmm. right, and, and, and identification. So, so, so try this on for size. I've been, been kind of batting this around for, for a couple of months now. But I want to marry both the fear and the greed part, right? So the fear part is the protect. I think there is a role when you talk about retraining and, and, and having people to, to hire thousands more policemen and firemen and protectors, right? And I think there's a role to hire thousands, tens of thousands of more teachers and guides and implementers, right? But to do it, and, and, and I'll tell you something about how one might pay for it, right? But, but, but to do it in a way where that gets then devolved more to a 
local and regional level. And I, and I know I'm just I'm, I'm talking like a, an, an insane mix of libertarian and you know statist you know where I want to hire all these people, but but I I I, I think I, I really do think that there's that the, you could get some a real anthem around that to motivate people for teaching, protecting, and making, creating. That's true. And I mean, I was thinking earlier with this idea of the anthem, I was wondering how difficult it would be to sort of, you know, push this anthem on people, but in a way that doesn't make it seem like the other issues that are going on, like in Charlotte, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't want to push those issues, sweep them under the rug. Good that point. just, you know, infuriates people more. I think it just, you know, leads to a, a bigger problem later on. But it would, it would be interesting just hearing you talk now if we could find a way to combine the problem with um you know police brutality in america and and needing you know maybe more training or that that aspect if we could combine that more with the education or or, um aspect that you were talking about just then to sort of you have that you're creating something but you're doing it in a way that also can solve some of the other problems going on currently where you know whether you know if you are hiring all these other protectors to fulfill the need of security or doing it in a way that, you know, take advantage of the opportunity to create a better version of our protectors. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Wow, we're agreeing a lot. This is amazing. This never happens. Um, it's true. I think that the three different areas, protect, teach, create, it can kind of form like a triumvirate that envelops most of our society like almost everything falls under one of those that's what i was thinking right falls into one of those three just to kind of reveal myself as the nerdy daughter um if you when you play like uh online games like uh like world of warcraft or like really any online fighting game you know you tend to have like the the different classes Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. fighter you know you've got your tank you've got your healer I need to stop before I get too much No, this is good. Hole. This is good. I love this. But the idea you is that... You know I love this. <laughs> we know. Um, but the idea is that you need each individual party member to fulfill their role in order to win, in order to have a successful campaign. And I feel like that's what you have here with these three parties. You need um, the teachers to teach people how to create and teach people how to protect. You can see that... Um, with a lot of people are saying that like police officers should have more training. Well, you need teachers for that. You need um, uh, the protectors to protect the people who are teaching and the people who are creating. And to be of the communities mm-hmm. that are yes. not experiencing the equality of justice mm-hmm. or the equal administration exactly. of justice that yeah. they should they should receive, right? Exactly. Yeah. And they all kind of work together. And then obviously people um, in like the, let's say the creation section they have to uh, create and design everything that we use uh, in everyday lives that everyone uses. And I think that, I mean, you can think of kind of basic, okay, well, teaching is teachers, uh, protecting is police officers, and creating is um, engineers. But there's so much more than that. Like creation is also, it is art, Mm -hmm. both physical and music. Protecting is also, I I would say, um, like doctors, like protecting someone's life, teaching is it's not just uh, your teacher K through 12, that's also sort of your parents, like anyone that you learn a lesson from. And people can move like in between these different sections, but I do think that these are three main areas that are so interchangeable, not interchangeable, but they work so well together when they're done properly that I, I would definitely say that's kind of the, the big thing that we should be focusing on. So Karl Marx, who was actually a really smart guy, you know, and... and it, he had at the core of, of his concept of his teaching. He was a teacher, right? I know it sounds crazy for me to be talking so you know no, I just nicely about Karl Marx, so. right? Right. But one of his core concepts was the notion, and this is what he thought was lost in the modern world. His concept was that of alienation, and and, and what that means, probably thought of, it, is it's a separation. Right, that, that, that what the Industrial Revolution and, and modern society does is it separates a man or a woman from his or her work. And, and that that's, and that's a, a enormous loss. 
Uh, now, you know, when he gets into what to do about it, that's where that's where he loses sure. me, right? That's where he really loses me. But, but I think that concept of loss and the separation that we have from our work, our craft, whatever that is, right, that, that's a big loss. And I, and I, and I keep thinking that the, that the anthem, that what would get people motivated is to bring people, reunite people with their work. To make it more local, to just so they can see the results of it. You know, we talk about local policing, local teaching, local making and manufacturing, and and I think that that's how technology can really work. That the distances don't matter so much, right? That that you can do anything, right? From 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 different locations today. Anyway, I'm talking crazy talk, but 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 it, but it's that core concept of alienation. And we see it in movies, right? So the, the, the movie Alien Nation, right, is, it really is it's taken from that, that, that concept, that separation. And, and that's what I want this anthem to do, is to try to bring humans back into closer contact with their passion, with their sure. work. Well, I think that goes back to the very beginning of this conversation. We're talking about why people like Trump and Sanders, and the answer was their authenticity. Yes. Because there wasn't a separation between... They're personal, they're public, they're personal, their work. It felt very much like what you see is what you get. They are one person, not mm -hmm. a, a bunch of like masks that you slip on in different areas of your life. And so, you know, I completely agree. And I think it's very interesting. I've kind of come full circle in this conversation. Well, full circle is a pretty good place to stop, wouldn't you say, Michael? That's, I agree. It's pretty good. I agree. This was terrific. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Our well, pleasure. <laughs> say goodbye, girls. Goodbye, girls. Goodbye, girls. I know. I, I set that up. I set that up. Yeah.